Our reading this morning is from Psalm 98. I'm reading from the Red Bibles. The passage is on 935, if you're reading along. That's 935 in the Red Bibles. Sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvellous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made his salvation known and revealed his righteousness to the nations. He has remembered his love and his faithfulness to Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Burst into jubilant song with music. Make music to the Lord with the harp, with the harp and the sound of singing. With trumpets, the blast of the ram's horn. Shout for joy before the Lord, the King. Let the sea resound and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the mountains sing together for joy. Let them sing before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and his peoples with equity. Thanks, Lindsay. Good morning, everyone. I'm Henry. Nice to meet you. If I haven't met you, and if I have met you, it's nice to see you. So, there we go. All right. Oh, it's a bit cold this morning, isn't it? But warming up. Um, it's, yeah, it's good to be all together here. And uh, here we are at the second Sunday of Advent. Um, as we heard earlier, Advent is a time of, of waiting and anticipation, um, leading up to uh, remembering and celebrating the birth of Christ. But not just his birth, um, it's also about anticipating his return, that one day Jesus is coming back again, and we're kind of waiting, getting ready for that. And the psalm we're looking at today is a psalm all about Jesus' return. Uh, it's the psalm that the carol Joy to the World is based on. Uh, that was written back in 1719 by Isaac Watts. Um, now, something this might be contentious, but I just want to say Joy to the World is actually not a Christmas carol. <sighs> Did you know that? Did you know that? It's actually an Advent carol. Um, it's not based on Jesus' birth. It's actually based on his return. And this is what we see in Psalm 98, that it's not about Jesus' birth, it's about him coming back. Um, Now, I want you to imagine for a moment the Christmas story, okay? Jesus is born, little manger, shepherds, angels. He grows up, he lives a perfect life, walks on earth. He dies his death on the cross. He's risen to new life, ascends into glory, into the Father's presence. The end. The end. What? No. That's not what happens. That's, that would be... That wouldn't be good. <laughs> but because many good movies have a sequel, don't they? Can you... What, what's, what are some? Toy Story. Yes. Shrek. Empire Strikes Back. Yep. Star Wars. Yep. Harry Potter. Rocky. <laughs> there... <laughs> Top Gun <laughs> Back to the Future Okay, yeah, that's enough suggestions, thank you um, 
but yes, many good movies have sequels. Some bad movies have sequels as well. But, you know, Grease 2. Titanic 2. Yeah. Anyway, um, but the Christmas sequel is The Return of the King. The Return of the King. Not Lord of the Rings, the Lord of the Universe. The Return of the King. And we get a taste of this in Psalm 98. What will happen when Jesus returns? Um, and it's a psalm all about joy. It's all about joy. And so it tells us uh, the reason for joy, the call to joy, and the fulfillment of joy. So uh, that's what we're going to look at as we move through this psalm. So as we get into it, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, uh, you've given us your word and Your word is alive and it speaks to us today. We pray that you would come and speak into our hearts, open our minds to um, hear you speak to us this morning. May your spirit be uh, moving to um, open our eyes to see Jesus more clearly and to see uh, your great work of salvation um, and to uh, change us that we would be people of joy, and we pray in his name. Amen. So firstly, the reason for joy. Uh, Let's uh, read again verses 1 to 3. Sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made his salvation known and revealed his righteousness to the nations. He has remembered his love and his faithfulness to Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. So this opening stanza is all about what God has done. It points us to his great work of salvation and it gives us reason to be joyful. Sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvellous things. What marvellous things has he done? Well, in in verse 1, we see God's strength and power to save his people. In verse 2, we see that This salvation is not just for a select group of people, but it's rather God extending his salvation to the nations. See, salvation is not just about you and God. Um, I think often in our Western individualistic culture, we can limit salvation to our our personal relationship with God, but it's so much bigger than that. Uh, This is about all people, every nation, every tribe, every people group. This is salvation on a grand scale, all to the glory of God. God shows himself to be the Lord of the nations and he's pursuing all nations to redeem them to himself. Uh, In verse 2, we read, The Lord has made his salvation known and revealed his righteousness to the nations. How? Well, verse 3 tells us, He has remembered his love and his faithfulness to Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. So as God kept his promises to save his people, his salvation was displayed to the nations. And then God blessed Israel that they would be a blessing to the nations around them, a shining light that more people would taste God's salvation too. And this continues today through the church. Through the church, the world sees God's salvation. Now, this is why we care about global mission. This is why we've supported Arthur and Tammy, who've served in Tanzania for the last 10 years, and 
the porters in Cambodia. This is why we currently support our sister Christy, who's serving in Southeast Asia. This is why we're connected to CMS, the Church Mission Society, uh, who aims to see a world that knows Jesus. And it's why we promote things like their annual summer conference, which is happening on Saturday, January 20th at Edwardstown Baptist Church. Register now at (laughs) cms.org.au. And uh, as we look ahead to next year, uh, you'll remember our, our theme, our focus for the year is, is mission, growing as everyday missionaries. And it's worth thinking through, how can I grow in playing my part as, um, playing my part in God's global mission to the nations? Now that might feel overwhelming to you. Um, you might think, well, I can't even chat to my colleague at work and you're wanting me to be on mission to the nations? Yes. (laughs) Yes, because remember, God, salvation is not just for you. It's for all people all over the world, from Middle East to Mongolia, from Poland to Paraguay, from Azerbaijan to Adelaide. People created by God who are made in his image, made to worship him and to know his love, who don't yet know him. And God's heart is for them. As God has called you into his family, he calls you to invite others in as well. But if talking about global mission sounds overwhelming, uh, it doesn't necessarily mean that you need to Pack up your bags and head overseas to become a missionary. Um, There are simple steps you can take to play your part. Um, So it might mean, as you think about the year ahead, that you commit to praying every week for a few minutes for Christy and the people she's working with. Um, Or praying for Hayley and the students and families at Kilkenny Primary School. It might mean... um, getting to know a colleague better at work by asking questions about their life. It might mean coming along to the CMS Summer Conference, which is happening on Saturday, January 20th at Edward Sound Baptist Church. Or maybe, maybe God is calling you to consider going somewhere beyond Adelaide for the sake of his mission, whether that's rural Australia or somewhere overseas. Maybe you need to start praying about that or planning for that. So we see God as the God of salvation who shows his love and his faithfulness to his people that all the nations would see and know his salvation too. And this is why, as the psalm says, we can sing a new song to the Lord. This is our reason to be joyful that God has made his salvation known to us and the nations. So secondly, the call to joy. Uh, The next stanza we see makes a call to respond to God's salvation with joy. So read along with me in verses 4 to 6. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Burst into jubilant song with music. Make music to the Lord with the harp. With the harp and the sound of singing. With trumpets and the blast of the ram's horn, shout for joy before the Lord, the King. 
So this is a call to the whole earth, to every person, to respond to the good news of God's salvation uh, with, with joy. It's a wonderful picture of enthusiasm and excitement. Uh, this is about a person's whole being uh, becoming animated with joy. Uh, we've got shouts, we've got singing, we've got music. Uh, there's, I think, the implication of dancing, bursting into jubilant song. It's like a you know, big party popper going up. Fireworks, you know. It's, it's like the wild scenes when an AFL team wins the premiership. You know, the, the final siren goes and, and you've got grown men running around, hugging each other in tears, rolling around on the ground, the fans going crazy, you know, strangers hugging each other, um, the confetti, you know, the music playing, the, the team song. But this is not just for a trophy that everyone eventually will forget about. This is a celebration on a universal scale. This is big. Now, don't worry if you're not musical. Uh, If you don't play an instrument, you can sing. If you can't sing, you can shout. You know, there's something for everyone. I think, Johnny, we've got to get the the ram's horn out for next week. (laughs) Practice that during the week. But this, this calling of the whole earth to, to joy is based on who the Lord is. Do you see that in verse 6? Shout for joy before the Lord, the King. He's the King. It's a command from the King for the King. This is to be a response to the whole world submitting to its creator and ruler which is the appropriate expression in light of who God is and what he's done. But it doesn't take long to realise that this is not the state we see in the world at present, is it? Look around. What do we see? We don't see joy. We see brokenness. We see violence. Loneliness despair. We see pain and suffering and death. Instead of singing, we hear wailing. Instead of shouts of joy, we hear cries of anguish. Instead of jubilant music, we hear heartbroken laments. Why is that? What's wrong with the world? Verse 3 of the carol, Joy to the World, refers to sins and sorrows, to thorns infesting the ground as a result of the curse. The world is under a curse. So if we go back to the beginning the beginning of the Bible in Genesis 3, we see the first humans living with God in his presence, enjoying perfect and complete relationship with him, with each other and with creation. But humans decided to go their own way, which fractured these relationships and God rightfully evicts them from his presence. And so then the the whole created order, humanity and nature, becomes cursed as the 
darkness of death scatters the light of life. There are glimpses of beauty and goodness, but it's suppressed by the curse. Any joy we have is temporary and fleeting. It's a reality illustrated so well by C.S. Lewis in The Lion, Witch and the Wardrobe. In the land of Narnia, where the evil white witch has put a curse over the land of Narnia so that it's always winter and never Christmas. Sins and sorrows grow, thorns infest the ground. We see this in the world around us, we see it in our own lives. And we see it in its presence in our own hearts. I was at the shops yesterday and, you know, they're playing all the Christmas carols on the radio and I hear, uh, Have yourself a merry little Christmas. Let your heart be light. From now on our troubles will be. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, from now on our troubles will be out of sight. We know that's not true. That's just not true. We can't just wish them away or pretend they don't exist. Close our eyes and you know, think it's just going to disappear. All the suffering and pain and brokenness we see. So Psalm 98 sets up this expectation of joy but we don't see it. How will it come? So let's think thirdly and finally about the fulfillment of joy. Uh, we'll, we'll look here at the third stanza, so read along with me, verses 7 and 8. Let the sea resound and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the mountains sing together for joy. So all of creation is caught up in this call to joy. Every part of creation is animated and actively responding with joy. And uh, again, if we think of the carol, Joy to the World, we we see this. Heaven and nature singing. Uh, Fields and floods, rocks, hills and plains repeat the sounding joy. It's a beautiful picture of nature coming alive and celebrating good news, of nature doing what it was created to do. I think this is not just an illustration. This is God's creation reaching its full potential beyond our wildest dreams. And so it's sounding promising that joy will come, that maybe the curse will be lifted. You know, things are are looking up. And then verse 9, we read, let them sing for joy before the Lord. Why? Why can creation sing before the Lord? Because he comes to judge the earth. Hold on, hold on. Wait. Creation can sing because God is coming to judge? That's why creation is meant to be joyful? What? It's like the ultimate plot twist. Unexpected. It's like watching, you know, a murder mystery where you're thinking, you know, oh, it's, it's that guy. It's that guy. It's definitely that guy. I know it's that guy. <gasps> it was that guy. Totally unexpected, because that's not how we would think. 
there's something within us that squirms when we hear about judgment. Many people don't like it. And it sounds like bad news. And here we arrive at one of the conundrums of the Christian faith. The truth that God has appointed Jesus as judge of the world. We read in the 17th chapter of Acts that God has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed, Jesus. Uh, Now, the late pastor and author Tim Keller said this. He said, if there isn't a judge, there's no hope for the world. But if there is a judge, there's no hope for any of us. If there isn't a judge, there's no hope for the world. But if there is a judge, there's no hope for any of us. You see, if there isn't a judge, that means evil wins. Injustice goes unpunished. The effects of suffering go unchecked. Death triumphs. If there isn't a judge, what do you say about people who've been mercilessly slaughtered in war and violence? What do you say to victims of human trafficking or abuse? What do you say to people who have lost a loved one in a murder or an accident? What do you say? Bad luck. Sorry. Such is life. No, 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 it can't be. It can't be. God will not stand by while his world is destroyed. He will not let that go on forever. He cannot. God has to do something. We need a judge to right all wrongs, to punish evil, to bring justice and restore peace to heal the brokenness of creation. And the promise of Psalm 98 is that God will do this when Jesus returns. This is good news for our world and not just for humanity, but all of creation. This is why nature itself is singing and celebrating. As we read about in Romans 8, creation is under the curse. It's been in bondage to decay. It's been groaning as in the pains of childbirth. It's eagerly awaiting its day of freedom and glory. But if there is a judge, where do we stand? This is where things get uncomfortable because we might say, well, I'm not really bad. I haven't done outrageously bad things, but... All of humanity has rebelled against God as creator and ruler, no matter how outwardly respectable we might seem. Which of us can stand there and say, I'm perfect, never hurt anyone, never been selfish, I've followed every command of God? As we stand before the Lord as he judges the world, we ourselves are deserving of this judgment. And his judgment is not unfair 
as we read in verse 9, he will come to judge the world in righteousness and the people with equity. We're under the curse and God's word says, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. God is coming back to judge. Where's the joy now? Where's the singing and the dancing? But notice that God is coming back. God is coming back because he's already come once. In the person of Jesus, God took on human flesh when he came the first time at Christmas. Jesus left the glory of heaven, entered into our world, entered into our mess, came into the world of the curse. And when Jesus came into the world the first time, he came not to judge the world, but to save the world. As he says in John chapter 12, Jesus came into the world that was cursed to bear the curse for us so that we can be freed from the curse. It says in Galatians, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole. Jesus was cursed as he hung on the cross and died. As he bore our judgment in our place. He's the king, the judge of the universe who came to be judged for us instead of us. And so in Jesus' death, wrongdoing is punished. Justice is served. Wrongs are put right. God's righteous judgment is carried out. And in his resurrection, the power of the curse is broken. Death is conquered. Good triumphs over evil. It's the fairy tale ending. But it's true. It's, it's the foretaste of God's promise to renew creation and restore all things to the perfect world he originally intended. But that will only be fully realized when Jesus returns to judge, when he deals with sin and death once and for all, when he will reverse the curse Restore life in all its fullness and perfection. And then on that day, no longer will sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. Instead, his blessing will flow as he rules and reigns with justice and righteousness. And this is good news if you're on his side because. Jesus is a good king. And so until he returns, as we wait, as we continue to experience suffering and brokenness in our own lives, as we look at the world around us and all that is going on, the sins that we struggle with, the sorrows that hang over us, the thorns that frustrate, Jesus is coming to deal with that. He will overthrow the curse forever. And the more you grasp that reality, that promise, 
the deeper you will experience joy in him. And the more you will long for Jesus to come back. You'll be waiting eagerly, expecting him. Because you know that he's our only hope. This is the salvation of God. This is why Jesus coming to judge is good news. For us, for the nations, and for all creation. This is why we can sing to the Lord a new song. Joy to the world. The Lord is come. Come, Lord Jesus. Let us pray. Lord God, uh, you are our only hope. You are the God of salvation who has promised to deal with sin and death, to right all wrongs, to restore justice and peace, to heal your creation. We pray that we'd grasp this more fully, that that's what you've promised, that's the reality that is in store, that we'd wait eagerly for Jesus to come back. Help us to live in light of his return. Help us to be shining lights as your church so that more and more people may taste your salvation and uh, and long for that day too. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.